We are here because we know the outcomes in our lives are within our control. That taking absolute ownership of how we eat, sleep, train, think, and connect with each other is how we'll optimize our health and happiness. That chasing excellence is how we grab hold of what is possible. Our mission is to live on the run, always chasing, never stopping. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Chasing Excellence, a special episode, a rare episode. Ben, I am in your office again. Two years it's in the been, making. It has been two years. Yes. The last time we were here, it was two weeks, a week before COVID. And I remember you, we had talked on the phone like the week after I was here and you were like, I think it's going to be more than a, like closed for more than a week. And I was like, oh shit. Ben this is real. Ben thinks it's real. <laughs> And two years later, I've had another human being, and uh, I haven't had a reason to come down here. But we have a reason now, because we are joined by special guests. We are joined by Mark England and Kimberly Kesting. Thank you both for being here. Thank you both. Uh, well, thank you all for, for having us and yeah. accommodating. And, and We're going to dive into uh, a fun, good, deep conversation here. The reason I came down, I should say, is because you guys drove up from Virginia to, to visit us. And so I felt like I, I can leave my house in Maine, finally. <laughs> And come back down to Ben's office. Uh, and I'm excited to do that. So uh, first thing I want to do is, so we've, we came across you, Mark. We came across your work. Uh, ben had posted something on Instagram, and I don't remember exactly what it was. But it, it had mentioned this idea of the, vi the victim mindset, which is part of, um, uh, and Ben, I'm sure we'll get into it, kind of part of the hierarchy of mindset that you and I have been talking about a little bit for, for a couple months now, where the base of that, the, or the entry point of that hierarchy is the victim mindset. And so you had posted something on Instagram, just as, as we often do. And 10, 15, 20, 30 people were like, you have to go talk to Mark. And you, me, and Christine, uh, Christine Bald, who folks will know, uh, your co-writer on, uh, on, on your books, was like, who is this person? And why is everybody telling us to go talk to him? So we looked you up and we reached out and, and we started this conversation, which uh, yielded you coming up here, which we're really excited about. So thank you both for it. Um, I would love to just kick things off with just uh, have you guys introduce yourselves a little bit so that we kind of can all catch up, know who we are, and then we're going to dive into a nice, fun conversation. So, Mark, I'll start with you. Uh, give us the high level. Give us the, the quick backstory, the quick context of who you are and your work. Uh, my name is Mark England, and I've been, I just turned 15 uh, <laughs> years old. Uh, he has a January full beer. Really good beer. Really good beer. <laughs> it's, yeah. you know, blame my, blame my dad. Uh, I turned 15 as a 15 years old as a coach last January. Oh, I've, I've been doing one thing, one thing that <clears throat> whole time, uh, full time. It is researching, presenting and coaching, uh, about the power of our words and our stories and how they influence us for better and for worse. I come from an education background. I've got a master's degree in education, and I was a former, before I got into this interesting, strange, fun line of work, I was an elementary school sports teacher mm. um, at an international school in, in Bangkok. I did that for five years. It was super fun. Um, I'm the head coach of Enlifted, uh, one of the co-founders. Um, and, and, uh, you know, they, they did, they, they, they named me well, uh, uh, when they introduced me on stage for TEDx as a language geek, cause I, I really am, I nerd on this stuff mm -hmm. and, um, uh, for very good reason. Our language is powerful and, uh, and most people, their education about their language comes down to spelling, grammar, and definitions. There's a little more to it than that. That's what the rest of the podcast is about. Awesome. I'd cool. like to hand this over to... Yeah, Kimberly, tell uh, us Kimberly about yourself Kesting. a little bit. 
Hi everyone, I'm Kimberly Kesting. I am oh, you have a you have a podcast for us. You must have a thank podcast. you. I do yeah, have a podcast. Turn that on. Notice that I do have a podcast. Um, so I am the community manager for Enlifted Coaches and also the host of our podcast, Get Enlifted. And thank you for complimenting my podcast voice because this was something that I uh, when I first started speaking and presenting as a coach, I hated the sound of my voice. <laughs> and so now I'm grateful to embrace Good. it and to love it. Um, so I am, in addition to being the community manager for Unlifted Coaches, I am also a health coach and group fitness instructor at Row House. So I have a really strong passion for helping people lead happier, healthier, more productive lives, really enjoy themselves. And I love working with people at an entry level of general fitness, general mindset work, and meeting people where they're at in in food too. So I have a big passion for taking people from that place of sedentary and relatively inactive to a place where they feel empowered and they feel confident with what they eat and how they move their bodies and how they feel about themselves. Awesome. Uh, And last kind of background context questions, because we've already mentioned a couple of times and lifted coaches. Can we just get like the quick, what is that? Who's it for? What does it look like? All that stuff. Yeah. Do it up. I'll answer. Yeah. So in lifted coaches, we uh, certify health and fitness coaches, life coaches, business coaches, people in the realm of one-on-one coaching with the enlifted method. So the enlifted method is a set of practical mindset tools where to help unlock freedom and confidence for your clients. We take the power of words, the system of language, words, story, and breath, combine it into our signature method and system and certify coaches in this to help them harness more practical mindset training with their clients. So uh, something we were jamming on a little bit before we actually recorded was Ben mentioned that coaches require a lot of they require a skill set to change someone's psychology, Mm -hmm. right? Or to get into the land of psychology to help enact change and behavior change. And most coaches, they get into the game and they don't necessarily immediately recognize that that's a skill set that they require. And they're like, yeah, sets and reps, cool. Like macros, great. Um, uh, you know, this is how you make money. And what they real, what it all comes down to is in any level of coaching is changing your clients' actions and behaviors to align with the outcome that they want and providing them with a skill set of improving their mindset. So without making mindset practical, it's very out there. It's aloof. It's it's intangible. It's difficult to measure. It's difficult to uh, see progress or understand. Whereas what we've been able to prove over and over and over again with our coaches, if we provide a system, words, which Mark will get into in mm-hmm. great detail, uh, which create our stories and also our identities about ourselves, that if we can learn a system to change that and demystify mindset, make it very practical, repeatable, understandable. We can write it down. We can edit, we can adjust. Then we get a different outcome. We get a different belief about ourselves. We get a different identity and then we can take action differently as well too. So we certify coaches in this method that we've laid out and take them through the process themselves first. So there's a lot of personal development that goes into our certifications followed by an amazing tool set that you can plug into your existing coaching business and all of a sudden just start practicing and watch what happens differently for your clients and for yourself. That's cool. Uh, I think one of the things when Chasing Excellence especially came out, a lot of people were like, oh, great. This is awesome. How give? How do I do the thing? How do I do it? And it sounds a little bit like that's what you guys have figured out, at least to the with your perspective and your and, and your outlook and your background. So uh, excited to dive into this for those folks who 
uh, really like chasing excellence, but maybe felt like I, I just want to know, like, what is the thing that I do today to start working on this idea? Um, so Mark, first question, you've already, you guys have both already mentioned this idea that, that, that words have power. Um, and in looking uh, at your work a little bit prior to you, your coming up, that was one thing that really struck me as mm. at the heart of what you do. I think you, you were an English major, like words matter. And uh, so I'd love just big picture question to you is what does that mean? And how is that different than most people uh, think of words, think of, uh, of that part of, uh, of our mindset of our psychology? I first noticed that it was extremely important <clears throat> what particular words I was using and how I was using them when I was teaching elementary school sports. Mm. So if you uh, can take... 25 stark, raving, mad second graders that are about to go swimming from <laughs> one side of the campus to the other, have them all dress out, okay, get in the pool, swim the lesson, survive free swim, get them back into the, the, the dressing room. Everybody's dressed out, got all their stuff, and back over here where you started at a predetermined uh, uh, time, then if you can do that and do it well repeatedly, then you're doing something very correct with your words. Mm -hmm. um, so when people ask me, you know, when did this start? Unofficially, that's when it started. Officially, it started when I tanked my fighting career mm -hmm. uh, when I moved to Thailand to be a tough guy or be a tougher guy uh, back in 2002. Uh, had my second knee surgery six months in for an entire year. I did not laugh because I used, and I'm going to circle this, that, that question that you asked back to a specific answer, which was the first time when I saw story work, we can mm -hmm. generally call it for the first time, the light bulb went on, the lights went on and it stayed on about this conversation for me. That was over 17 years ago. So Mark England moves to Thailand and fails miserably. I use that experience as the final piece of damning evidence in the case that I was behind the scenes making about myself to myself that I was not good enough. Mm. Technically, it's called a telephobia. And uh, our man, Tony Robbins, there's a book on your shelf, Ben. He says that 95% of people's dysfunction comes down to a telephobia, the fear of not being good enough. That's the, that's the technical name for it. And so now that I had had this ultimate proof that I was not good enough, a born loser, something wrong with me and doomed to fail, uh, also known as deeply entrenching a victim mentality. That's very stressful by the way. And it also usually shows up on people's faces. Mm. I was not, my face was, um, I, I, I didn't, it says it all. I didn't laugh for an entire year. Yeah. Finally, thank God, I wised up to the fact that I could keep doing this. I didn't have the words to articulate exactly what I'm doing. What I did say, though, is, dude, are you going to be complaining about this for the next 25 years? I saw that 55-year-old version of myself, which is not that far. I'm 45 now. 55, 60, still talking about the good old days that could have been and, 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 you know, still whining about this is like the shot that you, 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 you the, the robbery when you got robbed mm -hmm. back. Cause that's how I was feeling. I felt cheated, man. Um, after a year of that, I said, I'll take, I looked at that 
old curmudgeoned version of me, I, I'll take anything but that. Right around that same time, one of our, our, our vice principal had come back from Koh Samui, Lamai Beach, come back from a, a, a detox that he did, this cleansing resort called The Spa. You go there, you pay to not eat. It's a great gig. Uh, <laughs> yeah, think about it. And and he came back and he was glowing. He's like, man, that was really cool. There's a bunch of cool people down there. You, 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 you'd get a lot out of that. I said, I'll, 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 sign me up. I'll do anything. I go down there, pay to not eat, drink the coconuts, take the detox shakes and the herbal pills and do the yoga class. I come back a little bit lighter, a little bit brighter. I said, okay, cool here's a path, do something different, get something different, rocket science. I'm going to go down there and I'm going to do something different. I'm going to keep doing something different in order to not become that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Or translation in order to become a different, a better, any, a happy person again. Can I do that? Is that a possibility? Let's find out. The third trip down, I went one evening to an emotional detoxification workshop which Mark in all his wisdom, I snickered at the name. I'm like, <laughs> emotional detox. I went though, very happy about that. Very happy I did. And the guy talked about, he ended up being my first mentor in this work, Barry Musgrave. He talked about words and stories and identities. And then he asked, is there anybody in the audience that's holding on to a story? And this woman shot her hand up and told, it was legitimately a stinger breakup story of um, her and her friends, they get a house down at the beach, beach week, and her boyfriend and his friends get a house next door, add alcohol, press play, you can see where this goes, right? He hooked up with one of her friends uh, uh, in front of her, in front of, in front of everybody one night, and then dumped her in front of everybody the next night. Mm -hmm. Let's say ouch on three. <laughs> and four years later, she's hung up about it still took it so personally so much that she hasn't been in a relationship since. And here's where we get to the specific part about why language is, in my opinion, the conversation, the specific conversation, the detailed conversation about what words to use less of and why and what words to use more of and why, this is going to change the, the game when it comes to mindset. On a relevant side note, Mindset is a very important thing to talk about. Yes, let's keep doing it. And the way that it's had or the way that the conversation is held m almost exclusively right now, it's this big picture thing that we know we need to get better at, but how, mm -hmm. okay? And then there's that confident person uh, looking person over there um, and, and I'm over here, whoops, would have been nice, okay? When we add in the conversation about the words, okay? how our words influence us for better and for worse, then mindset becomes practical. Mm -hmm. As in I can practice thinking, speaking, and writing in more conscious and constructive ways in order to, like Kimberly said, create a specific outcome. So he walked this woman through this story three times. The first time he did nothing to the words, specific words. Let her go through at the end, angry, crying. The second time through, he started to make some adjustments to the language, which loosened her up emotionally speaking. Now she's sad, no tears. Third time through, he stopped it. 
right in the middle with the one sentence. It was the Lord of the Rings sentence, the sentence that was holding the thing all together, binding them all. And that sentence was, he did that to me. Mm. Okay. If you all, everybody listening, if you all have a pen and a paper, write that sentence down because you're about to have an experience. (laughs) He did that to me. And I'm watching this. I got one eye and one ear on her and alarm bells are going off because I had that same sentence embedded into my story about the guy that kicked me too hard when we were sparring. Okay. Also known as not taking responsibility for um, uh, participating in the, in the, in the scenario. Mm -hmm. I exclusively put all the blame and responsibility on him, gave myself a hard pass an easy hard pass and uh, further entrenched the victim mentality, which I'm about to recite the definition of the victim mentality for the umpteenth hundred time. And I'm just getting started talking about mm-hmm. this stuff because it's fun and valuable. And I get to come meet and hang out with cool people. Uh, <laughs> and that just keeps getting better and better. Um, he, and he did it three times. Made damn sure that everybody was paying attention to the sentence. He did that to me. He had that, that last word, words, folks. You want to you improve your mindset? Learn about the words. Take out the me and put in himself. Mm-hmm. So her sentence, and you saw her, it was such a radical departure of the he did that to me, victim, villain, mindset, and emotional patterning that's in, that's Einstein and Mark England are getting that picture and that same set, relatively speaking, of emotions and feelings from that sentence. Mm-hmm. This, this conversation has nothing to do about intellect, by the way. Okay. He did that to me. He's in the picture. She's in the picture. He's doing something to her. She's got to wait for him to stop, for her to feel better. Uh, don't hold your breath. Okay. Even though you are holding your breath, because that's a very stressful picture mm-hmm. to, to make. Right. Uh, he did, and she said it like a question. He, he did that to himself. He he did, and you see her start to talk her inter- herself into a new story. He he did. He he, and it didn't. It, it there wasn't much flow there. It was clunky at first until she got her head around it. He did do that to himself, and then she starts looking in different directions and goes on this. And then she's like, telling the story of how his social credit score <laughs> took a digger. Mm-hmm. Okay, as in he lost friends, everybody got mad at him, and she kept going. And it, it ended up like, well, you know, it wasn't going to work out anyway. That guy was actually kind of weird. Where before, he did that to me. Okay, I'm taking it personal. That sentence forces me to take that, the whole thing personal, whether I want to get over it or not. And therein lies part of the answer to your original question, Patrick. Mm-hmm. Why study this stuff? Because our language, and when I say language, it's a very important part of the conversation to, to front load early. Our internal dialogue, when I say language, I mean our internal dialogue and our external dialogue. What we think, what we say, and what we write powerfully, folks, influences us for better and for worse. And most people's education about their language comes down to spelling, grammar, and definitions. There is a whole mystical, magical, powerful world of study to get into when we look at how our what our words do to us, okay? As in what aspects of ourself do they influence? 
So instantaneously, we keep this thing simple. Instantaneously, those that sentence, it's going to, or any sentence that we emotionalize over is going to influence four key areas of our experience of ourself. Our imagination, we're going to make pictures and movies. Our emotions and feelings, we keep things simple again. Posture, okay, our physiology, our posture. You ever talk yourself into a good mood? Everybody listening has. You ever talk yourself into a bad mood? Everyone listening has. has. Mm-hmm. Okay, are the, those are two different. Those are two two different postures if you take it far enough. Okay, one, you know, look at the words. Um, I'm I'm feeling really down in the dumps, or I got the weight of the world wear on my shoulders. Okay, uh, 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 or you know, um, yeah, you know, the, the thing, things are looking up. Yeah, I'm on. I'm I'm over the moon. We've got mm-hmm. our language places us psych. This is a, this is a ten dollar word. It it places us psychogeographically speaking in different places in our imagination. And most people's language, accidentally, because most people want to feel good about themselves, it places them in the back and and behind everybody or off to the off to the side. You know, I'm, I feel left out. Okay. And again, most people's education about their language comes down to spelling, grammar, and definitions. There's more to it than that. Imagination, feelings and emotions, posture. And this is what got us here, everybody. Breathing. Mm. Okay? Breathing. Um, I'm known for my rants and tangents. I can keep going in this direction. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Or um, we can go in another direction based on... Cool. Let me, let me just pull on one of those. So like yeah. just to finish that code, because um, he did that to me. Yep. How did you reframe that in your head when you heard that about the guy in the ring? Because he didn't do that to yeah. himself. He didn't kick himself. Correct. So he didn't walk out of the ring like the boyfriend did and lost social credit. Mm-hmm. So how do you use that same through line to work yourself through that? I did that to, my, I, I did that to myself. Mm-hmm. I did that to me. Yeah, so and it's not changing the the he in the beginning. You're cha- you're changing the first part of it. Correct. I want I want I, I want that to myself. Correct. I want me to place as much responsibility for my side of the street, my side of the conversation, on me as possible. Mm-hmm. Okay. For yes, it might sting a little bit at first, and the value is 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 blatantly obvious. So when I I went to that sentence, I did that to myself. Um, it was very sobering. It changed the pictures that I was making of being a victim of circumstance into a participant in my story. Most people's identity, so the definition of identity, Webster's current definition, is the fact of being who or what a person is. Okay. I like Most, that you said current because I know you're working on changing it. We, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we are. We are. Um, and, and, and the work poses some very interesting questions about it. And the work meaning changing words in order to create – um, better self-image and better confidence. Okay, more confidence. We can and and and, and unlock the breath because we're known as a language people. Push comes to shove, gun to head. It's about the breath. Okay, 
We want to help people improve their language, to better their stories, to empower their identity, and unlock their breathing. Most people are walking around with their breath trapped in their chest. And in my personal professional opinion, 95% of that comes down to the ultra. I mean, what's more seductive than our own voice in our own head? Ben, come on. The, 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 the story that we're telling ourselves about ourselves and the world we live in. It tricks us into being innocent bystanders in our story or spectators. No, we're participating. We're participating in our life and we're participating in the story that we tell ourselves about ourselves. And uh, it's the best of news and it's the worst of news. Like, sweet. You know, I'm, 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 I'm creating my reality. Damn, I'm creating <laughs> my, my reality. reality. So there's that there's that harshness of a wake up call to it. And guess what? Growth is not fun. I'm not ever going to negation acknowledge. I'm not going to promise anybody that this is going to be easy. It'll actually be some of the hardest work that you ever do. Um, you know, uh, uh, not under a barbell and things like that, because you know, whatever we emotionalize, we get addicted to. And I was tremendously addicted because the alternative was very scary. That I I I chose, I made so many choices leading up to that injury. And also the, then, it, then it got into other stories about my childhood and things like that. Um, and it helped me. It was, like I said, a painful growing process, take on more and more responsibility about my actions as a person. And um, when that happens, we begin, we begin unraveling and dismantling the victim mentality. It's a good time to recite the definitions. Yeah, yeah, let's, let's do it. Do it. Yeah, you teased it. Let's go. I'm going to take a little bit out of the middle. This is the verbatim definition of the victim mentality. The victim mentality is an acquired personality trait where a person tends to regard himself or herself as the victim of the negative actions of others, even in the absence of clear evidence. The victim mentality depends on a habitual thought process and attributions. That second sentence is very telling. The victim mentality depends as in it has to have a habitual, which also accurately implies duration and addiction. It has, it has to have a habitual thought process. So if the victim mentality has to have a habitual thought process, what are, what's the, what are the thought processes? Let's take, let's make that even, what are the words? Mm -hmm. Okay. And for it, it's 2022, let's make this clear up front. This is not victim blaming anybody. Mm -hmm. This is victim mentality explaining. Those are two very different things. Okay. Let's, and you know, back to our own voice in our own head. What's more prevalent, hate speech or self-hate speech? I mean, who's, who's talked more trash about me than me in my head? Come on, let's just like, really, it's not even a contest. So we've made a business out of helping teaching people what words to use more of and why and what words to use less of and why. As in, we've mapped the language patterns of the victim mentality. We call it conflict language. There's three pillars. And then we've mapped the language patterns of the architect mentality, which you know, we can call it the hero's mentality. Those also have that those language patterns have three pillars um, and they're easy and they're practical. Um, and those three pillars, roughly 85% of the stories that people tell themselves of ouch and pain and woe 
those those three language patterns, negations, soft talk, projections. We'll talk about those more in detail. Are driving that, driving that victim mentality, forcing people to create um, the victim villain mental imagery, forcing people to stare at worst case scenarios, forcing people to play the blame game, be the blame thrower, forcing people to create um, a lot of indecision and anxiety. Okay. And simply put, if we change some words, we get seemingly everyday ordinary language. If we make some seemingly minor adjustments to our everyday ordinary language, we get an immediate return now. And then there's this really cool downstream knockoff effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I think about when I, as I listen is in writing, there's active writing and there's passive writing. Passive writing is weak, right? Something happened to me. Active writing is put yourself as the subject of that sentence. And so I, I, I say that to say, when I'm reading something I've written, I can spot passive writing. I can go, I can go in and fix that. Mm. That's, at least for me, that's relatively easy. That's a, that's like, that's a skill that whatever I've developed, that's, it's a lesson I've learned. How do you then translate that to shit? The words just came out of my mouth <laughs> or yep. that's the word in my head. How do you start editing that? Cause that to me is I mean, you guys know this. That's the challenge. That's, that's the, the game. That's the that's the thing. Yep. So answers, where do you start yep. to begin to edit? I I, said, I thought that I'm going to say this, or I said that. Should have said that. Like, how do you start? Because we talk about awareness a ton. Done. How do you start to get that awareness in so that you can actually start to change the words? First things first. Write it down. Hmm. Okay. Uh, the difference between a story or a sentence. Um, let's just go with a story. The difference between. I'll get to that in a second. Once the words are written down and you can stare at them, so real-time translation, you were watching me do this in a workshop yesterday. That's that's a skill set that's built with reps and, and down the line. The easiest place to start is to write the thing down. So you can stare at the words. You've got that lag time. That's why we tell people that study this stuff. It's going to show up in your texts and your emails first, okay? Because you can look at the words and look at the words. And you have a backspace button. <laughs> correct. Correct. Yeah, but you always do that after you hit send. Yeah. <laughs> and then you do star. <laughs> undo, undo. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Praying, sweating. Yeah. Um, well, it's an interesting it's, point yeah. to talk about speed, right? So like if we're talking in real time and we're talking very fast, it's difficult to catch ourselves and to edit. Yeah, good answer. When we uh, write emails and texts, we also might be doing it at a level of speed because that's reflective of how quickly our thoughts are moving. So we want an instantaneous communication and we want an instantaneous response. When you learn to start to slow it down and really think about how your words are gonna influence the recipient's emotions, And mental imagery really is the two things we think about. It's like, what picture are they going to create from the words I just sent them? And then you start to read it back to yourself and you start to edit, right? And the example that you just gave with writing is exactly that. You put everything down on paper. You had your first draft and then you went back and you edit and you've had a slowed down approach Mm -hmm. in that intuitively, I would imagine, because you're being more critical of exactly what's on the page. Mm -hmm. And what happens in our day-to-day conversations especially before we become aware of this, what we're talking you through guys today is speed is quick and likely our listening is not always yep. where we need, require it to be to 
listening to, to ourselves to ourselves or to other people, yeah. right? Because if we're in a dialogue and we're quick to respond, then you know our listening is shut off. And then in the uh, context of it really starts with the awareness. If I don't know what words I'm looking for, don't is a negation, by the way, then I don't know how to fix it. If I know what words I'm looking for, I can edit. So the conflict language pillars that we're talking about here, it's specific words. So what are the words that were like mechanistically, because you guys keep on saying like, is is there a list? Is it like, how do you like- Waldo in the sense of like, now you know what to look for and now you can find it a little bit easier? Absolutely. Yeah. So that's the reticular activating system, right? So we start to see the words and we see, we know what we're looking for. We're on that search and edit mission to change them. So we'll start, we'll go chunk by chunk. So negations is words don't, uh, can't, couldn't, shouldn't, haven't. Now I'm blanking out. Not. What else we got? Not. Um, did I say won't? So the the attention becomes on the things we can't do or won't do or shouldn't do. And what follows that is the exact thing that's going to be in our head. So if I say, you know, and think about this in the context of kids, it's always like a cool way to understand it. Uh, you know, don't run. What's that kid picture in their head? They see running. And Funny so, run. right. And so if I said and said, can you please walk? That's a different mental image, which comes with Love a different it. result. We talk about this all the time with coaching in terms of like, don't put the bar down. Don't put the bar down. Mm-hmm. Don't put the bar down. It's like all the person's here. <laughs> well, yeah, so you put want the me bar to do. down. That sounds yeah, what you want me to do. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's yeah. Not, the putting the bar down sounds so good. <laughs> yeah. A ski racer, like don't fall on yeah. turn number three. Don't f- fall on turn number three. Instead of like set yourself up for turn number three, like yeah. get on your edges early in turn number three. Right. And in coaching, that's why this work works incredibly well in, in coaching is because you're, you learn how to cue people to what you do want them to do. Yep. I love that. And you learn how to direct their focus and attention. Yeah. Like focus their attention towards the mental image that supports the activity that's I'm going to follow. So the negations piece immediately puts our attention on the things that we're trying to avoid. So it becomes Mm -hmm. the, the focus is exactly the opposite of where we want it to be. Then we get into soft talk which is really creating this ambiguity, like softness, lightness, lack of commitment to what we're talking about. So uh, people use this a lot in conversation, which makes them sound a little less confident. So I'd kind of like to have, you know, a latte. Mm -hmm. It's like, do you want to have a latte or you kind of want to have a latte? Like I might be there on Saturday. Well, are you going to be, or do you might be there? Um, Maybe I'll see you next week. Okay, are you? Am I going to see you? I don't know. Mm-hmm. And so we use uh, trying, kind of, sort of, maybe, possibly, uh, probably, I guess, mm-hmm. words that soften up what we're doing to give us a little bit of an escape route. Because now, like, you know, well, I'm trying to get a bar muscle up. Are you trying to get a bar muscle up or are you practicing and working towards that skill? Are you training for that skill? Because if you're trying, that implies maybe you're maybe you have an exit if you don't get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and why is that important? Why is giving your why is why do we not want to give ourselves that that I think you said it called it escape language? Like what is the yeah? Why is that worth getting rid of or noticing or, or fighting against? So when you remove soft talk, so with negations we had that translation. We mm-hmm. switch from what we don't want to what we do. With soft talk, we just take it out. And when you take out the softness, you become more confident. And the opposite is solid talk. So you're solid in what it is that you're 
looking to do the way you're speaking about yourself and the way that you see things becomes more concretely yeah. versus this ambiguous. I'm not sure I'm yeah. uncommitted. Maybe it's going to happen. Maybe it's not. It's, it's happening. This is so cool. Cause all of these rules are also so good for writing. Yes. <laughs> Which is absolutely. Kind of what I keep going back to, but like absolutely. getting rid of that language from your writing makes your writing considerably uh, stronger. Yeah. And um, when you, when you interact with somebody who speaks very solidly, yeah. they portray confidence and, the, you could ask, are they really more confident yeah. or do they just know the words yeah. and how to speak more confidently? And is there a difference? Is there a difference? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I would argue there right. isn't. <laughs> when, when you grant somebody the, 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 the idea that they're confident, then that person becomes more confident because that becomes the identity or that becomes mm -hmm. part it's, of the It's bi-directional. Yeah. yeah. Right. One mm -hmm. causes the other. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like you were saying with the breathing, like if you get stressed out, your breathing gets shallow. Well, if you deep breathe, you lower your stress. It's like it, Mm -hmm. works both directions. Was there a third? Yes. Okay. So the third is projections, which is the sentence structure we started with the, he did that to me. Mm. And projections is really like the most dangerous part of the victim mm. mentality, because what they do is they disempower yeah. us and it assigns blame or uh, cause outside of ourselves. And so he did that to me or, um, they did that to me or the sneaky ones, which just not necessarily follow a, that person did this to me, but a constant, a picture that paints that this is actually not outside of my, um, my coach made me run mm. laps today. Ooh. It's like, okay. Or, you know, my coach made me do a really hard workout or my boyfriend made me eat pizza. That's why I didn't hit my macros. <laughs> it's like, well, did that person make yeah. you do this? Or is this something that you chose to do based on some interaction? And so we flip those projections to reflections and we take back our ownership and we go from that disempowered victim mentality state into an empowered, confident, I'm at the, I'm at the center of my life. And what I do is all a result of my choices and actions and behaviors. So it's, oh, it's me. It's a phenomenal conversation for us to be having here because this is one of the things that we like center this our discussions of the podcast around yeah. is we are trying to chase excellence. And the idea behind that is either choose the path of like I want to be the one, like I want to be the world champion, or I want complete fulfillment. I want complete joy. I want complete satisfaction with my life. And regardless of which ones those you choose there, this language you use is so um, impactful. It's so empowering. And the one, the part I love the most is Mark, what you said, which is it changes you from being a bystander to an active participant. Mm. And there's so much of what we do in life that we are just trying not to bounce off these imaginary walls. And the path has been set. And, um, as long as I don't bounce into a wall, like, it's like, no, you have way, there's this really like this fundamental understanding, which I think everyone gets is serenity prayer of understand what you have control mm. over what you don't. But then once you understand, I think that's blurred. I think that people don't necessarily truly understand the things that they actually have control over. So they sit in the background as the bystander and let life happen to them. It's like, no, you can't control. Stop complaining about the weather. Go and move to Thailand. They don't have bad weather, except for the tsunamis. Except for the, yeah. Yeah. yeah, typhoons or whatever it is. Monsoons too. Yeah, the locust attack or whatever it is. Yeah, but- like, it's like this, like, I'm just going to like, oh, and I think that gets us to, here's, 
Because I would say if you if you had approached me and said like we're going to talk about victim mentality, and I hadn't done like enough of the talking with Patrick and uh, being aware of this stuff, I would go probably not for me. Like I'm not a victim. Mm-hmm. I love my life. Right. Mm-hmm. I, it's like like I, I I'm so lucky for where I am. I I every Monday I'm psyched to go to work and I love coming home. So no victim here, bro. Right. But I have. I mean, it's layered inside of me on so many different smaller levels. So for sure, there's the true victims, right? Which are like, you know, if you're the the, the victim in Silence of the Lambs, you really don't have a lot of control living in the bottom of that pit. Like I'm, that's tough. Tough business. action. Tough. But then the other side of that spectrum is probably where I am, where, you know, I'm um, packing to go on a trip with my family and my wife is taking longer than I want her to take. <laughs> that would never happen. Right? And I'm going like, God, what is going on with her? Like, why is this taking so long? And like, that's me playing. I'm like, there's probably so many things that I'm layering inside yeah. there that's causing that to happen that I'm just choosing not to take ownership with and going like, look at what she's doing again. Mm-hmm. Taking forever to pack. And, and there's this, it's not as binary as like, I'm a victim or I'm not. There's like so many shades of gray inside of that. Well, I think a lot of what a misconception with this that we've come up against is that if you are in the lane of a successful person, mm. that you're not a victim. When in reality, you're we are all victims in that in that lane of success driven, motivated because we are our own biggest critics and we are tough on ourselves and we strive for excellence. Like we want that. We're looking for it. We're pushing ourselves there. So we beat ourselves down. And then when things happen that seem like they're out of our control, it's like, oh, I'm so disempowered. Or I can't, and it's like, no, you are the person that can absolutely overcome this. You just don't have the language patterns to support yourself. You're going to be at war internally and externally. You're going to present a different story or try to, uh, you know, establish leadership and inside you're like, oh, I'm crumbling. I can't handle it. And the victim mentality and the imposter syndrome are very close cousins. Mm. So there's a lot of what we teach in our certification is dismantling the the victim mentality, which also dismantles your imposter syndrome. Yeah. And it might like, even with the, like, even like those super uber successful people, like, I don't think that, you know, I don't know this, but like, you know, the Tony Robbins, as you mentioned, or the Elon Musk's or like, I, I, I hope that he doesn't have an imposter syndrome, but at the same time, these people that are trying to, you know, pursue excellence and chase the edges of what they want to, I think that they can, it's still set in because they're like, I wish my team was as like, as on bought as as bought into where I am, I wish that why can't they? And now suddenly it's like you're putting exactly. it on them again, exactly. Instead of pulling it back into you, it's like there's. I feel this. We talk about aware. I, I, we believe that just everything starts with awareness, and right the more that you. you become aware of the dialogue, and dialogue is not just words. It's the. I love what you're saying is that it's not just necessarily the grammar, or the spelling, or the way you define things. Language is what's the meaning behind all these things. And when you become aware of that voice and that voice is a storytelling machine, Mm. then all of a sudden that creates your reality and it's a false narrative. Most people, we're telling ourselves a story to ourself about ourselves, And to, to speak about what you said, you know, uh, I'm not a victim, man. I, I, dude, I totally get that. Like, I really, really get that. As in, so we shot a the first version of Core Language Upgrade, which was our flagship online language training program. 
back in 2014, we had to reshoot that thing. We chose to reshoot that thing, um, which was no small task. Reframing right there. Yeah. Real, real, yeah. Real, real time reframing. Real time. That's the second time I've, I've, I've heard you do it. Yep. Phenomenal. It's it's fun too. Yeah. So it's a sorry to interrupt. No, please <laughs> yeah. do. Please do. It's it's but I fantastic. Want to, I want to pull highlight to that. Like words mean stuff, and the words sure. it's so good. Sure, sure. Yeah. I will. We didn't have to. Yeah. We, we chose we, to. We chose to. That right, like that right there is the one of a fantastic example of you know I, it's called pressure language. Uh, I, I we have to do this. That's my language putting me in the stands as a spectator. No, I choose to do this. Pressure language. Here's some pressure language for you. Got to. Okay. Uh, uh, have to. Okay. Need to. Must. Should. We run a fantastic thing called a should detox. Very fun to do. Um, you take those words out and put in get to or choose to. And now you're driving the bus as opposed to you're in the back um, and, 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 and hating life. So my business partner and I in 2015 chose to reshoot core language upgrade because before conflict language was called conflict language, it was called victim mentality language. And we looked at each other and said, this is too strong of a place to start the conversation, even though it is extremely accurate, bullseye dead on for the definition of the victim mentality. Some people are going to balk at this and for, for understandable reasons, like I'm not, I'm not a victim, but I do have a little bit of conflict going on at work yeah. and my wife pisses me off. Okay. <laughs> so they can relate to conflict. Um, like I said before, what's more seductive than our own voice in our own head? And this, this, this one piece of the conversation is, is going to be, we've been doing this for a long time. We see what's coming. We see the waves coming. Ben, please, if you, if you, if you're write that book on the victim mentality, the more people talking about this, the better use us as resources. I, we can get on as many calls as you need to, because like you said, in, um, chasing excellence, uh, uh, this is not a job for me at all. This is a mission. The victim mentality, quite literally, it's tanked. How many lives have the, has the victim mentality? It, it's the thief in the night. It's the elephant in the room. It wants everything. It wants your time, your attention, your belief, your talent. It's 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 um, the victim mentality could turn the planet into a piece of toast. Mm. Okay. And then and and he was pointing while making those noises, by the way. <laughs> which is very important. Thank you for doing that. Very important. Um, you know, whether it's inside a household or nation states. Yeah. You know, we're filming, we're we're recording this right now, and and there's some stuff going on over in like there's a story going on over in the Ukraine right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still pointing. Yeah. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. And that goes back and forth. And you know, the 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 bigger the the bigger the the kids, the bigger the toys. You know, there are there are consequences. Stories have consequences. Do I need to say that loud again? <laughs> no, that's good. Okay, so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna uh, we're gonna keep you guys here and keep talking. We're gonna start wrapping this up soon. We're gonna do kind of a part two to this. But before we do, the the one thing I keep coming back to, I've got a, a almost five year old, almost two year old, and one of the things I love about kids that I've noticed is that they get hurt a lot, they get upset a lot, they'll throw little tantrums. But there's no suffering on the end of that. There's no story on the end of that about this is what this means for my life and and so. 
they're they're as close to the that kids and puppies are the closest thing that we have to constant present state awareness. Mm. No stories, no unnecessary language. So I say all that to ask this question as we start to wrap up and we can talk for another 20 minutes. So I'm not rushing uh, the end of it. Where the hell does all of this come from? And what is it doing to serve us in such a way that we keep that it is so pervasive? Because they're not kids aren't born with it. We're not born thinking ourselves a victim. Sure. But get to high school and all of a sudden it's like, here, here's some books and a victim mentality. <laughs> and so where where does it come from? How does it continue? Do your homework, kids. <laughs> and I'm just a really big believer. Like if we're doing something, if we're complaining about something, it's because we're getting something from it. It's making us feel good in some way because we're pretty simple creatures. We're do, we do things that make us feel good. And so how, like where, answer those things now, please. There's go. a fundamental glitch in our language, okay? And it is, it is an inheritance, okay? We inherit our language from our parents. And very few people, going back to what you said earlier, everything starts with awareness, Ben, I agree, are, are somewhere between hyper aware and hyper aware. I use hyper aware in a, in a, in a, or conscious. We'll just use it that way because it's, 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 it's a good thing, being conscious, being hyper aware of the words you use. Strategic, calculated, uh, uh, constructive, considerate with our words, measured, okay? Slowing the story down so you get the timing and the rhythm and the inflection. Get your breath get down low and slow so when you speak, it carries more power. You'll end up saying less, getting more done. Very few parents, because in parents' language, scaffolds children's identities. Mm. It scaffolds their character. Very few parents are, and it's simply due to a lack of education, okay? Chalk it up to that. Stuff you didn't learn in high school, fine. When when parents become aware of how to speak to their children in more conscious and empowering ways, they go from saying things like, I hate repeating myself to, um, I enjoy repeating myself. Well, a lot of parents say that I hate repeating myself. And a vast majority of the reason there's, they say that is because they're repeating themselves in, in negations. Like Kimberly talked about, don't talk back to me. Uh, uh, you, you can't not finish your, your, your dinner. Um, don't leave your room messy. What are the, what am I doing there? I'm before it's even out of my mouth, I'm making a picture of what I don't want them to do. First thing my driving teacher said when I got in the car at 15 and half years old, he said, look where you want to go. Cause you're probably going to go there. <laughs> Rocket science back to that. Yep. And there's a difference between don't fall down and hurt your knee. And you have excellent balance and the, your child might fall down. They're going to fall down. Okay. And what would happen if I keep spelling? I'm using hand signals now. <laughs> you have excellent balance. You have excellent balance. Fine. They fall down, hurt their knee. They get their clothes loose. That's all, all good. You have excellent balance. Finally, it starts to say, I have excellent balance. We're talking about spells, folks. The definition of a spell is a word or a combination of words of great influence. Mm -hmm. Most people are ignorant mm -hmm. and unaware of the spells that they're casting every day. So, and, 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 um, most drive, most of the driving forces in people's identities or their mindset, they're interchangeable, their opinions. Okay. We can call them belief systems, but that makes them a little bit like clunky and gives them a little too much authority in my, their opinions. Okay. We're not going to find 
I'm not, nothing ever works out for me is not a unit of measurement. Okay. Um, uh, uh, I'm not good enough. You're not going to find that on the periodic table of elements. A lot of our actions, a lot of our stories are driven by opinions Mm -hmm. and those can be changed quite easily if we do a couple of things. First things first, write the story down. Even if the pen feels like it's 800 pounds, because sometimes they do, stories can get, look at the words, heavy, Mm -hmm. right? And learn just a little bit about the words. We've got some, there's some more um, conversation to be had about how to use this stuff specifically that we love to go into on any podcast. So people leave with some very simple, actionable things that they can do. And when they do that, they have an experience for themselves. They go to send the email and they, well, wait a minute. I remember that. I remember chasing excellent podcasts. The 15 year old guy with a beard. Uh, <laughs> uh, he was, he, he was he, pointing at things. He was pointing at things and making noises. <laughs> and, and he, you know, he'd, um, and I took out the guests and the, the, the maybe, and my, my main request from the email went from, you know, I guess we maybe need to schedule an, a, a, a meeting to let's schedule a meeting is Monday at five available. Mm-hmm. And wow, the person responded immediately and we got the thing on the calendar and you know, things are moving. It's little stuff like that. When people have an experience with it, they go from, she's always talking down to me to, well, yeah, there's some binary language always. Yeah, take out the always. I remember that. Take out the always and put in sometimes. She's sometimes talking down to me. Well, okay, good. Okay, that's a more, it's more accurate. And, you know, I'm starting to put out these fires in my head before it comes out of my mouth. And we have World War Nine in my kitchen. Uh, she sometimes talks down to me. Well, I mean, there's a projection keyword. Take out the take out the she and put in I. <sighs> the breath goes because I'm getting myself out of that stress response. Yeah, that's true. I sometimes do talk down to myself. Hmm. But you know what? I also talk. You know, I talk myself up sometimes because uh, you know I can, and I'm I'm learning more about my words. And and you know, there's this. See what I just did right mm-hmm. there? I walked myself out of a fight. In back into myself, my breath released, I'm more present, my listening ability goes way up. We're talking about amygdala hijack. So mm-hmm. when I stress myself with the negations or the projections or the soft talk, they're different layers, flavors of stress, sympathetic nervous system response, my ability to listen goes way down. Mm-hmm. So when you're any any gym member, any gym owners, their members come in and they've got these stories running about God knows what. Um they're here to exercise their demons. They're, look at the words. Their ability to listen to their coaches is directly mm-hmm. related to how much mental real estate their stories are taking up in their head. Okay, I hurt myself because my 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 mindset, my mental landscape, my mental real estate was packed with uh, uh, stories of wrongs from my past starting with a, with a, with a kid that beat me up when I was young and, and a couple other, like I got bullied a little bit and then I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to show them when I go into show them mode, I make pictures of me showing, like be like, look at the word, the pictures that's going to make. It's very stressful. I essentially ended my fight career because my breathing mechanics were terrible. Mm. Okay. My breathing mechanics were terrible because my stories were, were of a victim centric nature. I want to get more into breath. The kid piece. Yeah. I was going to say the breath, right? So if you watch a kid that's having a tantrum, they do, they scream, they yell, they cry, they're having a thing. And then all of a sudden they do those, one of those, <sighs> and they fully release. 
so what happens in that scenario is like they have, they've downregulated themselves. They become more malleable. They become more relaxed and they, they don't, they don't assign meaning about it because the level of consciousness and the awareness has not evolved to that. And the truth is, is that as adults, you can opt out of that too. Mm -hmm. It just becomes that you stay stuck in that stress response. Most of the time you have something, you have an argument, you stay stressed. You don't release the breath. You don't drop back into that parasympathetic state. You stay upregulated, right? And then you come into the gym and you're still stressed the hell out. The and then you want to go the, do- The like, words keep replaying in the head. And and then you just keep re-cementing the pattern, like so, the repetition. Back to my question. Why, why do we opt for this? Why does this feel like a natural response to these things? Again, what what is it- what is being a vic- being within the victim mindset or mentality? What is that doing for us that brings us back? Is it as simple as the, well, if I'm not on edge, I can't I can't hear the saber tooth tiger coming at me, and I can't separate the fact that I'm in 2022 now and that there are no saber tooth tigers. Is is it as simple and an evolutionary as that, or is there something about this? Uh, you know, this I love this idea of the escape language, like. Why are we so comfortable in the escape language? What do we keeps need? Keeps us safe, keeps us comfortable, okay. and keeps us without having to do anything, right? Mm-hmm. So when you look at this, extrapolate this out to health, why do sedentary people stay sedentary? Yep. It's easier, yep. right? It's easier to get your food from a drive through and to sit on your couch and to watch Netflix than it is for you to go to a farmer's market, come into so the it, gym, work to out. To it's about energy expenditure. That's likely part of it. It also depends on who you're hanging out with. Yeah. Okay. Because the victim, uh, misery loves company and (laughs) victims, they like festivals. (laughs) (laughs) So if you're, if you're hanging out with a group of people and one of the main pastimes is gossip, then your participation in that gossip, which is filled with projections. Okay. That's the main driver driving language pattern for, for gossip. Um, if, if that's your currency to get in the door and sit down and hang out, um, then if you give up those language patterns, you're giving up those stories and you're giving up those those community, that community and, and relationships, regardless of what it's doing to you. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and you, you <laughs> I read gossip's a thing, man. Gossip's a thing. It's something that that if if um, if someone wants to dramatically improve the quality of their community, um, depending, regardless of their level of uh, participation or influence in it, do your part to gossip less. Mm. Okay. And watch what happens. I remember, I forget the name of the book. It doesn't matter. This is years ago. I read a book from a South American shaman and this gentleman dedicated two chapters to talking about gossip. He called it the, the, the most common form of black magic. Mm. I mean, and, and, you know, if I, I, I start so the, that, that's a very good question. Why is this going on? Um, part of that is evolutionary. I was, uh, like, like you said, in, in chasing excellence, we have a, a tendency to focus on, uh, how did you say it? Be more aware of the problem than it is the solution. You don't eat that. Mm-hmm. You, you stay away from these, these berries over here. Cause if you don't, um, Part of it is is education, what we've inherited. Um, part of it is addiction. Um, we get addicted to our stories, uh, for better and for worse. Part of it's community, and whatever the answers plural are, 
the buck stops here with the story that I tell myself about myself. Mm -hmm. Okay. At the end of the day, I can change my words. And if I change my words, then different, do something different, get something different, different and better things are going to happen from different and better words. Okay. Because I've talked myself into bad moods. I've talked myself into good moods. I, I use different words in those, those, those processes. So learn the words and make your choices consciously. I think that there's, um, there's essentially to get to like, why do we do that? Yeah. Right? Like, why do we complain about sh like, how does that serving us at all? And to me, I think that's the, the mind we, once you become aware and you start to dig into this stuff, we, we have a, a tendency to kind of like, um, um, think the mind is this negative thing because this thing in our head is a storytelling machine that's not serving us anymore. The mind is not th that. What the mind is, is a problem-solving machine. One of the most, mm -hmm. best problem-solving machines that's ever existed. It's this focus machine. If you're reading a book, you need your mind to be able to focus. And it's amazing at that. The trouble becomes when you can't focus and you can't problem-solve. Our egos then start up the chatter. And the chatter will spin until if it can't problem solve, it will problem solve by complaining. Mm -hmm. So there's so the much outside of our control. Exactly. We yeah. can't live in an uncertain world. So we, we think that we are the center of the universe, that it is us that moves and shakes and the sun came up, is coming up tomorrow because we are here. It's, it's, it's one of the cool things about us as human beings. Mm. It's also a really big negative. And what happens is when you can no longer... Uh, make sense of the uncertain world, you go, those freaking guys, da, 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 da. <laughs> the politics and the Democrats and the Republicans. And I can't believe it's, you know, in the freaking rain again. And like, and what you do is you gain a sense of control mm. over uncertain circumstances by complaining. And that storytelling mechanism all of a sudden starts to feel good. And that's why you gossip. You gossip with other people. It's the most surefire way to bond with somebody else. It's why we play the name game once you meet somebody. Like you're from Richmond. Uh, my cousin lived there once in 88. Do you know Bill? <laughs> it's like, because if you have that, you have this common bond. Yep. And then if you can talk about people and it's easier to talk about the negative than is about the positive because all of a sudden it, inflate, it, 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 it lifts you up as well. So really it's a, the complaining is in a, is a um, a glitch in the the hardware where you think that you're problem solving mm -hmm. and you're not. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. One other interesting uh, way to look at this is even the way that you ask the question. So you ask, why is the victim mentality serving us or whatnot? Let's ask how mm -hmm. instead. So one of the big translations we talk about is, oh, why can't I lose any weight? Why can't I find a relationship that works for me? Why can't I get a good job? Oh. How? Yes, okay. So yeah, I love all these shifts. I love them. So, so good. Turn have tos into get tos, shoulds into wills, whys into hows. Yeah, like, and so, so good. It adds and that's, up. That's, that's oh my the, god! It's the practical component. So I won't even bother answering that question. It's just to make the point of yeah. that's what makes mindset practical. I don't care why. I don't care why. Really, I don't. If I want to change something about it, I have to care about how. So not why am I doing this to myself? How am I doing this to myself? And how can I change it? Oh, it's the words.
I love that. Okay. Oh, hold on. I'm going to put an artificial break on this. We're going to keep it. our conversation. We're going to come back next week uh, and, and continue this conversation. I'd love to get more into the practical side of things. Mark, Kimberly, thank you both so much. Uh, thank you, everybody out there for listening. Thank you for your ratings and your reviews. Ben and I and Mark and Kimberly will be back next week for another episode of Chasing Excellence. You can get every episode of Chasing Excellence wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. Until next time, thank you for listening.